Yes, sir. Give some people a few minutes to get on here tonight. Give everybody a few minutes to get on here tonight. I'm a little early, I think. How's everybody doing tonight? How's everybody doing tonight? Good to see everybody. Hey, Kyle, Miss Dars, Carver, how are you? Hope you and Brother Morris are doing well. Miss Yvonne Bear, God bless you. <clears throat> what a mighty God we serve. Hey, Chris Chavis, how are you tonight? Dennis Badley, good to see you. How are you? God bless you. Yes, ma'am, Miss Yvonne, we'll be praying for you, whatever that need is tonight. Jesus would touch it, minister to you. Miss Wanda, Rick and Frankie, God bless you. Bruce Rogers. Hope everybody's doing well tonight. As you can see, I'm outside. Hey, Miss Rhonda Cantrell, I was talking about you today, and it was positive, so <laughs> just so you know, in the office. Um, I'm outside, as many of you can see. It's not that bad out here. It's, it's only 39 degrees, you know? Nothing to it. Oh, no. COVID symptoms for eight days, test negative. You know, I've had a lot of people that... Uh, I talked to someone today, actually, Miss Yvonne, that has the same issue, and uh, they've been having the symptoms, and they tested negative. I told them they want to go get retested. Those tests aren't 100% foolproof. I think about 68 70% of the time they work. So that leaves 30, 32% that they may fail. So you may want to get retested. We're praying for you. It is good, Miss Rhonda. It's always good. <laughs> All right, guys, I want to get right into the Word tonight. Um, I hope that people hear my heart. I, um, for the last couple of weeks, I've been speaking to our church. Um, I've, I've, I've been using a resource, actually, from um, Francis Chan and uh, some of the some of his... Um, thought process and writings and that really, um, quite frankly, stirred me up for the church, uh, not just my church, but for the church in general. And the first week we talked about the church, we talked about how that we're a piece of the church and how the church is, uh, God is not limited to a building, all right? God is so much bigger than that. So what God can do is He works through me, He works through you. And we talked about how, we called it sacred was the name of the sermon. And we talked about how that we're a part of this sacred church and how that we go out and we minister to other people because we are the church. So it's, it's more than just a building, but we are reaching out everywhere that we go, the church is going with us, which is an amazing thing. Uh, this past week, Sunday, we had some Facebook difficulties. That happens from time to time. That's why I love seeing people in person. I understand some aren't able to come yet are not comfortable with it, but um, that's why I love you in person, because you don't miss anything, even if you have technical difficulties, because uh, technology is not a foolproof either. It can fail you, and Sunday we had a technical difficulty, was unable to put this online, so I want to reiterate it to, to uh, tonight, and uh, there's some stuff I didn't finish Sunday that I'm going to try to finish up tonight, all right? Uh, the order. So the way we started, and I'll be reiterating a lot of the things we talked about Sunday, uh, and I'm, I'm going to add some stuff on hopefully to that, but want to try to do it in a timely fashion here. So I want to talk about the order, uh, the order. So you walk into a restaurant. When you walk into this restaurant, uh, the guy walks up to you and the waiter or waitress, and they say, what would you like to eat? To which you tell them you would like to have a steak. And they come out 20 minutes later. And when they come out 20 minutes later, they bring you out a bowl of spaghetti. It is not the order. It is not what you ordered. And so the waiter tells you, though, if you'll just keep this spaghetti, this spaghetti is the best spaghetti that you've ever ate. So just, just eat this spaghetti. To which you would tell him, no, that's not what I ordered. I'm the one paying for this meal, sir. Now you bring me out the steak that I ordered. And I feel like sometimes, and my heart is heavy because I feel like that that's so often what we have done with the church I feel like that God has ordered something for the church, and I'm afraid that we have presented Him with something that is totally different than what He ordered 
for the church. So, so when you read the Bible precisely, God gave us command after command after, after command for the Christian and ultimately for the body of Christ, His church. But sometimes I feel like we, we think that we've created something better. And so we create the church that we think is the church that would appease people or the church that, that we could grow. But yet God is saying, wait a minute, this is not what I ordered. I want something totally different than this. So instead of diligently studying His commands and what God said, what the Bible said, exactly, because He gives us these things, we are influenced by other things. So we are often influenced by the things that, that we want, what we want, you know. It, it's about what I want, and that's so often we get that mentality with church that, that I look for the church that gives me what I want. Or we look at, as leaders, we're guilty of looking for what other people want, not what God wants, but we can fall into this trend of trying to to satisfy and appease people in order to grow the church. And we surely we do it with efforts that are sincere, but at the end of the day, we're failing to see what God is wanting us to do. We, we look at what others are doing. What's the, what's the church down the road doing? Let's, let's talk about that. Let's look at the church down the road. So, so in the spirit of Cain, we present to God a sacrifice that God says, I'm not going to accept that sacrifice, Cain. But then there's Abel that comes with the lamb and he gives God what God asked for what God requested, what God commanded, the order. And so Abel gives it and God says, I'm going to receive that. We cannot do this in the church. We cannot come with the spirit of Cain and offer to God something other than what, what He has already ordered or commanded for us to do. So one of the things that, that I looked at that I want to deal with tonight briefly is commands versus expectations. And on Sunday, I took more time with this topic than I meant to take, but, but, but it, but it just, it is so deep that I just had to go there. But, but, but there's a simple exercise that we could walk through with church leaders. We could look at church leaders and pastors and we could ask them this question. We could give them a list of all the things that people say, give us a list of all the things that people expect when they come to your church. Now, when they tell you this, they would say, well, people want a good service, that they want a good, well-communicated sermon. Uh, we got to make sure that we have age-specific ministries. I need something for my, for my teenagers. I need something for my children. I need something for my elderly grandparents. I mean, the, and, and they go through all these things. We, we've got to have a certain style of music. We, we've got to have a certain length of service. You know, if you're too short, it, it's not honoring God. You know, why would I get out the bed and get ready to go hear a 30-minute service? So, so we need, we've got to make it a little longer, but at the same time, we don't want it to be too long because if it gets too long, then people aren't going to want to come to our church. And we go through these things, the conveniences. Got to have a good parking space. You got to have a clean church building. Not that any of these things are bad. Don't misunderstand me. I've got to have child care for my kids. You know, I, I wonder whatever happened. When I was growing up, I, I, you know, my church, we never, does anybody remember when you, you didn't even have a nursery in the church? Does anybody remember those days? I'm going to tell you right now. I can tell you that there's some things in your mind you just never forget, honey. And there's one thing I'll never forget. And that is when I was a kid, I don't care, just a little fella, little whippersnapper, just a little fella. I can't tell you the times that I disobeyed my mother and I didn't sit there in church and listen to the preacher. All right. Here I am, a little four-year-old kid. I mean, how am I supposed to listen to a preacher preach, right? But I can tell you, boy, she'd take me out of that room. She'd warn me and say, Jimmy, you better straighten out, boy, or you're going to get a spanking. And I remember I'd... Being little Jimmy, as they used to call me, and I was a little, little, uh, I was like a little Dennis the Menace, and I decided I'm not going to listen to Mama. And my mother would get me out of that pew. She would walk me out the church, out the front doors at Eastside Holiness Church. I'll never forget it. She'd walk me on the porch. She would wear my butt out. I mean, she would spank me. I'm talking old-fashioned whooping with her hand. Just pop me. I'd dance like a little Indian around. I'd cry like a baby. And she'd look at me and say, boy, you better dry it up. We're going back in church. And guess what I did? I sniffed it up. I wiped my eyes. I went back in church. And guess what? I sat my butt on the pew and I listened to the preacher preach. We were just trained in that generation. But with church now, we, we've changed so much that, 
that our children, quite frankly, don't even know how to come to church and, and act right. That's why, you know, at Gap Hill, we started a family day and we do that. And the reason I did that is because I wanted our younger generation to, to not only be stuck in children's church all the time, all right? And, and I know they need to learn on their own level. I understand that. But I like having, and we're doing it once a month, the last Sunday of every month is what we're doing now. And, and we want our children in, in church. We use them oftentimes. Before COVID, we'd use them to sing. They took up offerings when we were doing offerings. And we just brought them and intertwined them into the life of the church. We loved, I love that. It's a beautiful thing. Seeing kids with a microphone in their hand right beside their mom or their daddy. And they're singing with them. I love that. Because I want our children to know what it means to worship God. I don't just want them stuck in a back room. Not saying that they don't learn the word. Because they do. And we have teachers there. And ministers there that minister to them at their levels and they're learning about Jesus. Please don't misunderstand me, but I want them to know what it means to come to big church too. So we look at all these things that people are looking for and we could get this list of what people expect out of our church, but then we could go and we could say, you know what, Let, let's look at a list of God's commands for the church that He gave in, in Scripture. What, what would you say those are? Somebody would say, well, He said, love one another as I have loved you. He said, visit the orphans and the widows are the widow, widowers in their affliction. He says, make disciples of all the nations. And these are just commands that God, God gave us. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. So, so I could then ask them, what would upset people more? Would it upset people more if you didn't provide the expectations that the list that you gave me on the first list, if you did not provide the expectations for them or if the church didn't obey the commands in the second list, which one would make your people more upset? Needless to say, in the modern church world, it would sing. With, with, with an age that we're uh, trying to make everybody happy and trying to appease to the crowd, it would seem that the first list of expectations would mean more to people than actually fulfilling the second list, which is the commandments of God. It's in Luke chapter 12 that Jesus left. Uh, there was a master that leaves and he leaves servants and he says, while I'm gone, I want you to do something. But when the master returns, he expected some work to be done. He expected that the commands he had given them would be done. But when he gets back, he finds out that guess what? They didn't do anything. And so he punishes those servants very harshly. I mean, how can we as a church just shrug our shoulders at a parable like this? It's insane. It's futuristic. It's prophetic in nature. What God is saying that, that Jesus is returning soon, folks. Look around us. Just look around us. The signs of the time are there. We can see. We can recognize as Christians, as God's church, we should recognize that Jesus is coming soon. And He expects His church taking His commands very seriously. He expects that when He returns, that we are not the church that just met all the expectations of the crowd. But we were the church that fulfilled the commandments that God had given for us to do as a church. Yet far too many are concerned with how well the sermon was communicated or all the other things. Is the youth group relevant or not? Is children's ministry good enough for my kid? How can we make the music better? There's always something else. And honestly, what is it that gets people in your church stirred up for change? What is it that, that causes them to want this change? Is it disobedience towards the commands that God's given for the church? Or is it falling short of the expectations that we have made up for them? The answer to these questions might just show us whether I'm leading the church, whether men are leading the church, whether leaders are leading the church, or whether God is truly leading His church. And I want to tell somebody tonight, as far as Gap Hill is concerned, I don't want to be the God that leads it. Alright, I want Jesus to be the one that leads it. I may be the one that He uses. I may be a voice for that church. But at the end of the day, it's not about me meeting expectations of people. It is about me preaching what thus saith the Lord. And it is about our church fulfilling the great commission and the commands of God. That is what we should be concerned about. Think about Jesus. This, 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 really, this, this one trips me out. Mark chapter 7 and Jesus is eating with his disciples. The Pharisees notice that the disciples haven't washed their hands before they ate. Now, I'm just going to tell you, it's disgusting to not wash your hands before you eat. Let, let's just go ahead and get that straight. I told them Sunday, 
if you're cooking a dish for me at your house and you don't wash your hands, I am not eating that dish. I don't want anything to do with it. That is disgusting. It's just good hygiene, right? It's just good hygiene. But the Pharisees noticed that, that the disciples did not wash their hands before they ate. And see, the reason they said something was because it was a strong tradition among the Jewish elders that before you eat, you could not eat with unwashing hands. All right, It's a tradition, and it's a great tradition. Don't misunderstand me. But they treated this as a major offense. They treated it as if God is so upset with y'all. Y'all are going to split hell wide open because you did not Wash your hands. What a sin you've committed. But <laughs> there's nowhere in the Bible that says if you don't wash your hands, all right, when you eat, that it's a sin, that it's a major offense, that God's angry with you. That's not what the Bible says. It says it nowhere. See, the problem was that God never commanded people to wash their hands. It was their Traditions, And he says, when, when you look in light of what I have commanded the church to do, he says, the last thing on my mind is whether or not somebody washed their hands or not. I'm concerned about far more important things than whether or not a man washes his hands before he eats or not. And that's what Jesus was saying. And in Mark 3, 7 and 9, he tells them, he says, you are hypocrites. He said, you have looked at your traditions and you have considered the traditions of men greater than the commandments of God. You have left the commandment of God and you have held to the tradition of men. Oh my God. Jesus was upset about it. This shouldn't have been an option. It should not have been an option. They should have automatically said, what does God say in the Bible about it? Now when you read in the Old Testament, 613 times to be precise, Jesus made a commandment to His people. He gave clear commandments, thou shalt. 613 times He gave commandments that He expected His people to obey. But somewhere along the line, we... In our own hearts and in our own human frailty, we have created our own traditions. And the problem with traditions is God never actually asked them to do it. They just felt that the ideas were so good. And please hear me. And I said this Sunday, and I want to stress this right now. If for those that are watching that were there Sunday and for those that maybe weren't there Sunday and you're here now, I want to stress this point. Tradition is not a bad thing. Please hear me. Tradition is not a bad thing as long as we are fulfilling the commandments of God. Please, somebody write it down. Say it out loud if you have to. Tradition is not a bad thing. But if they begin to trump the commandments that God has given us, then tradition is horrible. See, washing hands and dishes before eating is a good example. It is a great thing to do that. It's a great idea. That's not why Jesus called them hypocrites. He rebuked them so harshly because they have created traditions to obey, which he says aren't important, but they emphasize them more than the actual commands of God, which quite frankly is the most important thing to every Christian and church and believer, is that we follow the commandments of God. In short, they miss the point. This isn't what God placed in the order that He made. For the church. So honoring traditions made the Pharisees feel like they were obeying God, when in reality, they weren't actually obeying God. If we're not careful, we can be guilty of this same sin. And it will result in the same divine displeasure in God's eyes whenever we hold tradition above what God has commanded. We become so accustomed to various traditions, and I talked about this Sunday, that we, we create this culture that we believe that tradition is actually truly commandments from the Bible when in fact, they're not. And we talked about this just the other day. And, and I think that this, that this is interesting here. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about Sunday school, for instance. And Sunday school is a great tradition. As a matter of fact, I, I love Sunday school. I really do. And, and the way I've been as a pastor is as long as people come and support it, that there's one thing that you always say, if it's working, then don't, don't bother it, right? If it's working, don't mess with it. And um, and so we have a good Sunday school department, and and um, you know we're we're down now because of COVID, but but pre-COVID, before COVID happened, we had a, a an extremely extremely strong Sunday school and 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 stuff that was going on at Gap Hill, and I'm sure many of you do as well. 
And so there's nothing wrong with that tradition. A matter of fact, I told him Sunday that, that most of the Bible that I know came from our old Thurman Blackwell. I don't know if anybody here knows Thurman Blackwell from Hartsville. He was my Sunday school teacher. And, and, and Mickey, uh, his name was Mickey. And, and Brother Mickey was my teacher. And I remember those teachers because they taught us. I was just a little kid. But they taught us the Bible. And the basics of the Bible that I have came from my Sunday school class. I have no problem with the tradition of Sunday school class. But I will go ahead and tell you, there is nowhere in the Bible... That God said you have to have a Sunday school class before morning worship. There's nowhere in the Bible. It is a tradition. And it's a good tradition. Don't misunderstand me. I want you to hear me very well here. But let me explain something to you. There are some people that would get more furious over a church canceling Sunday school than they would whether we even partake in communion or not. Alright? Now, now, now this is the thing. When we weigh out the two, which one is a command from God? Alright? It's not the Sunday school. The command from God is that we fellowship in communion. And we respect it and we don't do it every single week. We do it so many times often a year that we do it because we want to, I want to respect that tradition. I want us to know it's a commandment from God and I want us to respect that moment. I don't want us to do it so much that we lose the value or the awe of the moment of what we're doing. But, but which one's more important? God commanded that we do the other. So, so, so some ran over the music. They ran over the music style. Well, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to have a certain music style. Listen, some of you like Southern Gospel. Some of you like Contemporary. Some of you like this modern worship stuff. I don't care. As long as it's lifting up Jesus Christ, I could care less what the style of the music is. But so often, we can, I've seen churches that have split. Over, over the type music they were doing. You remember when contemporary music came out and we had, had pastors that were splitting up and they were having a traditional service and then they were having a contemporary service. I hated that because I felt like what that did is it absolutely took the church and it tore it apart. We had two churches. We said, alright, we're going to have a traditional church. We're going to have a, a contemporary worship church. No, no, no. Why can't we mix the two and enjoy and blend and we understand that we're both strong. All we're doing is worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what matters but so many people would rant and fuss over the music they would fuss over the music rather than worry or shrug their shoulders at the fact that there's widows and widowers that we're doing absolutely nothing for there's children and orphans that are in distress that need food that need help that need clothes what are we doing for them folks what is the church of jesus christ doing for them and so when we talk about tradition versus commandments, what I'm trying to get us to understand is that commandments are so much more important than our traditions. And so the reason Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrite is because they hold the traditions of men higher than the commandments of God. That is a major problem for the church. And I'm telling you, tradition will kill our churches if we allow it to trump what God has told us to do. We can cling to tradition and we can do some of the great traditions that we've always done, but we must never, God help us Lord, we must never lay down the commandments that God has given us. We can do both of them. We can do both of them, praise God. But we have to make sure that commandments of God is priority in our life. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's in the Bible. I can go on and on. It's about maybe the dress or the youth ministry or the children's ministry. The service times are, are also the same people who have not shared. You know, you think about this. This, this bothers me. Whenever we think about all these other things that we could talk about that are traditions and people get so stirred up about it. But I'm going to tell you what I get stirred up about. I get stirred up about the fact that there are Christians, we talked about this last week, it's sacred. The church is sacred. God views His church as sacred. And God has made you a piece of that church. It bothers me when people go out into the world on a day-by-day -day basis, they meet people, they talk to people, they have ample opportunity to witness to them on their job day after day after day. And they go months, some of them even years without ever sharing their testimony or talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we be the church in, that God has commanded us to be? How can we be the Christians that God has commanded us to be and not be willing to share the good news while literally billions of people are dying and going to hell and God has given us a command to go and make disciples? They have no idea who Jesus is. This is the order that God gave for the church. God help us to actually fulfill the order. We can't be like the other guy and bring out the spaghetti for the steak and say, God, this is our sacrifice. We can't be like Cain and say, God, I brought this. Now you're going to accept it. 
That's not how it works. We have to bring an acceptable offering to God before God will accept it. It's, imper- it's imperative, folks. Listen to me. If you don't miss any, if you don't hear anything else, it is imperative that we differentiate between what we want and what God commands. Not that all our desires are bad, but our desires must take a back seat when it comes to emphasis on what God has commanded. Commands versus expectations. So what works? What works? What in the world works? I want to tell you this. I have been in church. One, I see that your Thurman was married to my cousin Judy. I love Judy Blackwell. She was a precious, precious woman. And uh, Kelly and, and all of them. And Lisa Kemp. I, I know that whole family. Wonderful people. I've been in church leadership for 22 years. 22. All right? I'm 37 years old. I told the church Sunday. 15 years old. Here I am. A young whippersnapper of a preacher. 15 years old. Eastside Holiness Church, I'm the, I'm, I'm the assistant youth director at, at, at 15 years old. I've spent a lot of time asking myself as a leader, as a church pastor, I've asked myself, and, and I don't knock myself for this, because listen, th- this word that I preached Sunday, it was, so, it, it was a hard word for me, because I, I don't want people to feel like, you know, in a, in a time of COVID and crisis, I don't want people to feel like I'm beating them down. I want to lift you up. But at the same time, God is just, just oh man, I was up at 3.30 in the morning and, and just laying there at 3.30 and I was tossing, I was turning as God was just, just dealing with my heart and said, this is my command for the church. What are you going to do? How are you going to fulfill the Great Commission? How are you going to do these things? And, and one of the things that, that, that I, that I want to say tonight that I didn't get to say Sunday is, is what God needs the church to be. He needs the body to be the body. Listen, listen, there's people watching right now. You've got pastors, your church members. I want to say something to you right now, and all of you aren't mine. I want to tell you something. God has not called the pastor of the church to, to lay out every ministry, every single ministry that the church is going to ever do. There, listen, what the body needs to do is pray and say, God, how can we fulfill your commands? And we need to pray and ask God, open our hearts, open our minds, give me a dream in the middle of the night, stir me up. When I'm riding down the road in my car tomorrow morning, Holy Spirit, get in me and, and give me a ministry, give me a burden. Maybe it's for the widows, maybe it's for the widowers. It's not the pastor's job to come up with every plan. Let God birth something in you. And then you take that plan to your pastor and say, Pastor, the Lord's birthing this in my heart. I promise you, whether it's me or whether it's your pastor, I promise you. First off, they're going to shout glory that somebody said they got a seed planted in them and they want to share something with the pastor to do a ministry. That will excite your pastor more than anything. And so when you come with that ministry, let that, that man or woman, let them lead you and guide you and, and, and help you to develop that vision. At least you got a seed. At least you got something to work with. And then you can pray over that together and you can develop a plan to fulfill the commands of God. Let God use you as the body of Christ. You are the church. Let God birth it in you. Take it to your pastor and allow that ministry to get started. I'm telling you, God wants us to do this. So what will work? What will get, and when I say that as a pastor, this, this is our mentality. And, and, and I don't know if you're a leader out there tonight watching this, but I'm just going to say it. What will work? So, so when I say that, what I mean is what will get people to our gatherings? What will get people to come to church? What can I do? What can I say? Can we have a fall festival? I mean, what can we do? Can we have, have some kind of outing for the children or the youth department? I mean, can we, can we have a parade? What can we do? We're going to do hay rides, you know, Halloween night. Whatever it takes to get people to get the church. And that is our mentality. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because we want people to come to church. But my intention oftentimes has been, how can I get people to come to church? When I feel like I missed the point, and what God was wanting me to say is, how can people's lives be changed? Because listen, we can fill the church, we can have a butt on every seat, on every pew, and there not be space to hold one more person. But if lives are not changed by the power of the Holy Ghost... If lives are not changed by the Spirit of God's quickening power, then let me tell you, we're failing, folks. We're failing. We can have a packed church, but if the Spirit of God is not... We cannot afford to lose the Spirit, because if the Spirit is not with us, we've lost it all. That's all we have, folks. That's all we have. God bless you, Janice. Our church is in Six Mile, South Carolina, Gatpill Church of God. Gatpill Church of God, Six Mile, South Carolina. So in my zeal for results, however, I feel like even me as a leader, I often myself have neglected his, his commands 
and what He wanted me to focus on. And it was more than just the money that was coming in the offering plate. See, see, see as pastors, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, we, we, hey, Tommy, God bless you, man. It's good to see you. It's hard because as pastors, I mean, we got bills to pay. Uh, we, we got salaries to pay. We got people working for the church. You know, we got a lot going on. And so we, we really have to know that that money's there and we need those supporters. We, we don't sell t-shirts, all right, to make money. We depend on offerings, tithes and offerings. And, and our church has been great. Even through COVID, we, we've been blessed and we thank you for that. But oftentimes as a pastor, we look at the bottom line and we want to know what's the number? How much money's coming into our bank account? All right. Are we going to be able to make it this month? Can we pay everybody? Are we going to go in the negative? How many people did we have at church Sunday? I need to know that number. We got to see if we're going up or if we're going down. Are we in a downtrend and uptrend? Where are we at? And so often we focus on the numbers. When what God is wanting us, as me as a leader, to focus on is our lives being changed. Our people being touched by the power of God. When that is happening, God will take care of the numbers. God will take care of everything else. As long as we fulfill the commands that God has called us to fulfill, that is exactly what God desires of us. God bless you, Janice. Our church is going to be open. It's Sunday mornings, and we start Sunday school at 940... uh, 9.45, and we start worship at 10.50 a.m. That's Sunday morning only. Right now we're doing Wednesday night lives at 6.30 like I'm doing now. Thank you for asking. So Paul is careful to refrain from using mere human rhetoric because um, Paul was really zealous, but in his pursuit, evidently, he was careful to guard what was sacred. He had the Spirit, wanted the Spirit to be priority trying to learn how to keep an auditorium filled, learning how to get people in and give them the experience that they want, learning how to meet the expectations of those that come to our gatherings instead of worrying about how can the people in this building actually fulfill and live out the command and the order that God's given for this church. We have to keep our priorities right, folks. I was telling them the story of Francis Chan that had a church of 200, grew it to 400, had to buy another auditorium. He finally ended up spending millions of dollars to get a thousand seat congregation to which they still had three or four service, had thousands of people coming. He looked from the stage one day and said, I, I figured out what's, what's wrong here. Went back to his wife at home and said, honey, I'm afraid that if, we, if Jesus was to start a church in our town, Jesus' church would be smaller. I, our church would be bigger than Jesus' church. He said, if the Apostle Paul were to start a church in our local town, he said the Apostle Paul's church would be bigger. I mean, would be smaller than our church. My church would be bigger than the Apostle Paul's church. He said, and I have a problem with that. He said, because if you begin to challenge people and preach the commandments of God and keep it in the forefront of their eye, I mean, you just keep it right there, right at the eyes of their, of their, uh, right in front of their eyes. And every time they open their eyes, it's there and, and right there at their heart. And it's just right there. It's like the commandments that they used to put. He said, bind them upon your heart. Put them on your eyelids. Every time you open them, that's all you see. That's all you think about. He said, if you, if we were to preach that way and the command of God be the first and foremost that we talk about in the church instead of all the expectations that people have for the church and we just preach what we're supposed to be doing in the body of Christ that we're supposed to be. He said, I'm afraid that people would leave. We would not have a packed crowd. We would not be able to fill every pew because when Jesus did that, people left Him. When Jesus began to preach, see, when Jesus said to the people, I mean, he's got thousands following him. But when he said, if a man will follow me, let him take up his cross. They said, we're leaving. We're not staying with this Jesus anymore. We'll stay for the healing. We'll stay for all the good things. But when it comes hard times and you're telling us to take on this cross and bear this burden and and it's not always going to be easy, we want out of this church. This is not the church we signed up for. We didn't expect this. We got to get out of here. And Jesus had only 500 people, a man that literally had thousands of upon thousands upon thousands following him when he first started his earthly ministry. Three and a half years later, there's only 500 people that are standing there at the ascension to watch him leave with the command that he's coming back again. He lost his congregation, but he kept in front of them, this is what God commands. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And he preached that. People didn't want to hear it. So the Apostle Paul, he also rises above this. 
The Corinthians wanted Paul to preach with elegance. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 1.17, said we want you to give us these, these, um, these silver orated words. We want you to be the, the great orator, skilled. We want, you to, we want to enjoy listening to someone that's smart, you know. They wanted a preacher that could give them the best of human wisdom. But Paul gave them the exact opposite. He actually limited his words because he didn't want, the Bible said, to empty the cross. Uh, thank you, Miss Carol Monroe. I appreciate you putting that there. He did not want to empty the cross of its power. He said, if I hold man's, man's thinking and man's mentality and I hold man's ideas above God's commands, he says, what's going to happen? I'm going to empty the cross of its power. So he said, when I came to preach to you, he said, this is what I did. He said, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you ex exactly what you want. I'm not going to give you exactly what you expect, but I am going to do one thing. I'm going to give you what you need. He says, for Christ did not send me the baptized, but the Preach the gospel, not with eloquence of words, but that the cross of Christ may be emptied of its power. He said, when I came to you, brothers, did I not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God? He said, for I decided not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So what he says is, I took out all the eloquence, I took all of these little orated words that I could have said, and he's a well-educated man, but he said, when I got up to preach, I reminded the church of one thing and one thing alone. This church is not about me. This church is not about you. This church is about Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And Him crucified. Every time Paul preached, it wasn't about a spotlight being on him. It wasn't, how can I make you people happy? What he preached is, Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus came to save you. The Holy Spirit's been sent to fill you. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what Paul talked about. That's all he knew to talk about. My God, somebody ought to say amen. As long as I've been alive, and this is a fact, as far as attendance is concerned, the church overall has been in decline. When, when you compare it to the overall growth population, growth density, and how that population density has increased, um, so it's not surprising that as a leader, we're faced with this, well, we, we've got a decision to make, I guess you can say. We, 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 we've kind of, like, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because we want the church to become more popular. We want the church to become more popular. Because if we can make the church more popular, I'm going to preach this to us. If we can make the church more popular, then possibly we can reach more people. But it's an old game. It's an old game. It's never worked out well. I read these stories Sunday, and I want to read them to you that are watching this, especially for the first time tonight. It was in the 19th century Denmark, Soren Kierkegaard, was appalled at the state of the church, which he believed had grown apathetic apathetic and insecure. Kierkegaard believed that true Christianity is costly and it demands humility. Listen to this. Because the gospel exposes our failures and insists that we can find life only through the grace of God, our self-esteem comes under, under attack as we acknowledge that Jesus Christ alone saves. But what Kierkegaard saw in the church were constant attempts to make Christianity more palatable, more tasteful, more popular and less offensive. That's a watered-down gospel. He said, oh God, this is powerful. He said, if we strip away the offense from Christianity and we try to make things fun and easy for everyone, and I quote, he said, then lock the churches, the sooner the better, or turn them into places of amusement which stay open all day long. Does that sound relevant for the church today? If we can water down the gospel expectations versus commands. If we can give people what they want, if we can water it down, maybe we can grow the church. Alan Hirsch explained his experience. He, was a me he is a mega pastor of a church, mega church in Australia. And I quote him and what he said in his own words. He said, if you have to use marketing and the lures of entertainment to attract people, then you have to keep them there on the same principle. Because that is what people will buy into. You win them with entertainment, and you have to keep them there by entertaining them. For a whole lot of reasons, this commitment seems to get harder year after year. We end up creating a whip for our own backs. 
In other words, what he's saying is if we focus too much of our attention on what people want, then we only increase complaining. Because the moment that you don't give people what they expect or what they want, if you don't fulfill what their desires are, their flesh, this flesh is a mess, boy, I'm going to tell you, this flesh will rear up. we got to let the Spirit tame that baby. I mean, it is out of control. So even in church, if we give people what their natural flesh desires and craves, the more they complain when their desires are not met. So now we have people who genuinely believe their unhappiness is the church's fault. Much of the fault lies in the leaders. I cannot sit here and not take some ridicule myself. I cannot sit here and not place some of the blame on my own shoulders for addressing these problems through the years in the wrong way. It was a whirlwind. We didn't know what to do. We didn't understand it. Things were changing so quickly. As I said the week before last, pastors have trained their congregations and their congregants to be this way. If it's 11 a.m. and your child says they want a latte because they can't sleep, do you give them a latte? Of course not. You look at them and you understand that sleep is the right solution if the fatigue and the problem is going to be taken care of. Too often we have given people what they ask for rather than what they need. But there are times that the most loving thing that a leader and a pastor can do is actually call people's attention to exactly what Jesus has commanded us to do. It may not be easy, but that's only the only time that they'll stop screaming for attention when you point them to Jesus Christ and His commands because that's really what matters anyhow. We have to keep Jesus Christ the center of it all. It's all for Him. And now real quickly, just give me a few more minutes. I want to get, I didn't get into this Sunday. I didn't have time Sunday. I was too long-winded. But I'm going to do it with you tonight. Revelation 5 said, I looked and heard around the throne. I want you to listen to this. This is part. Put yourself here. John's seeing this in heaven. The living creatures, the elders, the voice of many angels, number myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Another version said literally millions of angels saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and blessing and honor. And I heard creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, listen to this, and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and began to worship God. Now, I want you to watch this. Can you imagine being in that setting, in that moment? Everything I just read to you now, I mean, commotions going on. Praises are going so high to the sky, it can be heard all over heaven. Everybody hears it. It's a rumbling. It's like mighty rumblings of thunder. It's like crashing of waves. It's Can you imagine being in that setting and sitting there and saying to yourself, I feel bored. Can, can you imagine being in this moment and saying to yourself, I need more than this. I need something more. This isn't enough. I need more. I mean, no. listen, there's no Christian rock group. There's no drums playing. There's no bass thumping. There's no, oh my God. Mm, there's no celebrity pastor with a microphone in his hand because he's magnetic and he can pull people in and keep them... You know, keep them satisfied and keep them entertained. It's none of that. And here you find yourself wishing that people were more attentive to your needs. Or you're in this moment in Revelation chapter 5 and you're wishing that more people were attentive to your expectations or your desires or your wishes or wishing that people would listen to your demands. There's no way. There's no way in that moment that you would be worried about you. Listen to me. This is what we were made for, folks. We're not doing people any good, any favors by making them as leaders and as churches, making them feel like they're the center of the universe and the universe revolves around them. We're not doing them any favors. We're not doing them any good. All we're doing is creating self-centered members. All we're doing is creating Christians that feel like the church has to cater to their needs. When in reality, again, I'm going to say it again, it is not about me it is not about you. The command of the church is that we have come to worship Jesus Christ. Either people will be awed by the sacred or they will not be awed by the sacred. If the sacred is not enough for them, being in the pre it is clear that the Spirit has not done a work in their lives. If the sheep refuse to hear His voice, then let the sheep 
walk away. Don't call out with your own voice. I've done it before and tried to stop people when God said just let them go. Too often we add in our own voices thinking if we offer just the right services, if we could just offer the right package. I mean, we look at, at the way that we have church as if we're putting it like Christmas time. Here we are at Christmas, like a Christmas gift. Let's put a little fancy bow on it and hand the people so they don't get offended. And we hand them this little tightly, neatly, beautiful, wrapped gospel. Oh my God. Then if we do that, we can convince people to stay. If we do that... We can get people to come to our church by catering our worship to the worshipers instead of catering to the object of our worship. I fear that we have created human-centered churches. If this, if this church can't meet my needs, if, if, oh God, somebody say amen. As a pastor, if I've heard this statement once, I've heard it twenty. 25 times. If this church can't meet my needs, then the church down the road can. Does that show you the human-centered church that we have created? The church should not be about the fact whether or not the entertainment's better down there than it is here. The reason people should want to come to our church is because we have made the commands of God and the Great Commission and taking care of people our number one priority, and that is all that matters. We're not going to do everything to make you happy. We're not going to preach sermons every single week that's going to pat you on the head and say, you've been a good boy and a good girl. Go ahead and, and live your life however you want to. It's going to be okay. There's going to be times that you're going to hear a sermon that's going to convict your heart. Do you know why? It's not because I'm preaching it. It's because the Bible is offensive. Jesus is offensive. The things that He preaches, the things that He has said in His Word, His commands, they offend me at times. Especially when I'm in my self-centered flesh. It offends me. What do you mean I've got to take up my cross? What do you mean I've got to deny what I want? That's offensive to us when we're self-centered. When we're in our flesh and the Spirit isn't really ruling and reigning in our life. Does it mean that we don't need it? It means that we need it even more so than we ever had before. Give me five minutes, I'm closing. So many of us make decisions based on what brings us the most pleasure. You know what's right. We do it when we choose our home. Does this home meet my needs? We do it with our jobs, you know. We do it with our cars. We do it with our clothes. Uh, we do it with, with food. <laughs> Needless to say, we do it with our churches. Can this church bring me pleasure? Can this church meet my needs? And what I'm trying to do as a pastor, and I'm trying so hard, and I, I may fail, I may fail, but at least I'll know I'm trying. I want to have people on my pews that their heartbeat is not about whether or not their needs are just getting met personally. I want people on our pews that have the mentality that whatever God said for the church to do, we want to be known as the church that does it. If God said take care of widows and widowers and we're not doing it, then God help us to start a ministry to where we are. We want to be known as that church. We may not be known as the church that has the best entertainment. We may not be known as the church that meets every need and every demand and every expectation. But my God, let us be the church that if God commanded it, those people, they may not do it the best, but they're doing it the best that they can. At least they're trying. We pursue what we want, and then we make sure there's no biblical commands that we are violating. In essence, we want what God will tolerate rather than what His desires are for us. Maybe we are afraid to ask, instead of what will, bring, what will this bring pleasure to my life, maybe we're afraid to ask, what would bring him the most pleasure? <laughs> what would make Jesus happy? Ignorance feels better than disobedience. If we didn't know, then we can disobey. So ignorance, just don't tell me about it, preacher, and then, <laughs> and then I won't feel convicted about it. I, I can keep on doing what I do, but now that you brought it up, now I feel convicted. Now I feel like I'm disobeying God. And in reality, we are. We all are. As a church, as Christians. If we don't figure out a way to fulfill the commands of God, then we are failing God. 
we are disobeying His commands. And that's why I preach what I'm preaching. And that's why I'm trying to stir up something in my heart and your heart to get us to yearning to do God's commands for the church. It's not popular. It doesn't make people come by leaps and bounds saying, my God, let me sign up. Whatever you need done, let me sign up. But there is going to be a remnant. There is going to be a group that's going to say, I want to fulfill God's commands. I want God to be happy with me. I want God to be happy with our church. So the good news is that by the grace of God, some of us are seeing our failures now, even today, even tonight. Some of us, we've been brought under conviction. The things that we failed to do, now we find ourselves when we pray, asking God, give me an idea. We find ourselves when we pray saying, God, put a burden on my heart for that ministry. Give me an idea. Let, give me something to take to pastor. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. We, God, God's telling me to do something. We're training ourselves to prioritize rather than prioritize our desires. We're training ourselves to prioritize His desires for us and for our churches. Scripture's the starting point. Not desire. Not our traditions. The starting point is what does the Scripture say? So rather than thinking of what we would enjoy or asking others what they would like, <laughs> we ask the simple question, what's going to please God most? What is the order that God has made? I'll leave you with the same statement I left our church Sunday. If God had it His way, what would our churches look like? I'm going to say that again. If God had it His way, what would our churches look like? That's a question. That's, that's the million dollar question right there, folks. What is our church going to look like if God was the one in control? Mm. I'm afraid, I got to say it, even my own church, I'm afraid we'd look a lot different than we do. And that's what hurts me and that's what burdens me. And that's why I'm so stirred up about what I've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Please don't take it and be offended by it. Please hear my heart because I mean it in good intention. I really sincerely do for all of us. We need to do our best to fulfill God's will and God's command and His order for the church. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for watching. I appreciate y'all for being here. I know that some probably didn't stay because of the fact that they, they've already heard this word. I, I did do the last... 10 minutes there, 15 minutes that they did not hear Sunday. So guess what? You guys that came on Facebook, you got to hear it. They didn't even get to hear it Sunday morning. There you go. Amen. We all have traditions, whether we admit it or not. Meeting on Wednesday, for example, is tradition. However, when they bind God or control people, they hinder God. Amen. There you go, Tony. God bless you, man. It's good to see you. Hope you and your church are doing well. God bless y'all during this time. I know it's hard for every pastor right now. And so God touch Miss Yvonne right now in the name of Jesus. She's a faithful servant of you. Whatever's going on with her, I'm asking you to bring healing to her in the name of Jesus. Whatever it may be, you are her healer right now, Father. We speak it over her life in Jesus' name. Oh, praise the Lord, folks. Mm. Thank you, Miss Rhonda. God bless you. Miss Sylvia, amen. Amen. I love it. I love, I love Facebook. I have the Amen Corner. I appreciate that, guys. That means a lot. I, lo I look down when I'm speaking. I try to stay on my train of thought. And uh, I look down and read y'all's comments while I'm, while I'm trying to minister to you at the same time. And so those Amens really, they, it's, it's like an Amen at church. It just fuels the preacher to keep going. So thank y'all. And uh, thank you, Tommy. Have we got any rabbits? Any rabbits? I, I'm ready to come down and get some of that fried rabbit, man. This is the only guy I ever saw that could... They could raise a rabbit and, and, and cook the same rabbit, but they were good. <laughs> Tommy, I imagine some of you, 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 your grandchildren there are uh, probably naming the rabbits, and once you name the rabbit, the rabbit's no longer food. It's a, it's a, it's a family pet, right? <laughs> God bless you guys. I appreciate y'all coming on tonight, man. And yes, Miss Janice, I hope to see you. Uh, Miss Carol Monroe up there put the address for you, Gatfield Church of God, 3540 Wahala Highway, 6 Mile, South Carolina, 29682. Oh, no, you went out of business. It was the grandkids. I know what it was. It was the grandkids. They they loved them rabbits so much, started costing you money. <laughs> IGA now, all right. IGA has rabbits? Wow. 
That IGA in Hartsville, they sell some, some stuff you wouldn't normally get at a grocery store, don't they? <laughs> little black market meat. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Sherry. God bless you. <laughs> and guys, by the way, it, it is uh, 39 degrees out here, and I am feeling so good. I told my wife, I said, at least I'm not going to sweat tonight. You know, I'm not going to sweat. And I didn't sweat. Got my Patagonia jacket on, got a Christmas tree behind me. And, um, yes, sir, fire going over here. Got my, got my fire. Look at there. I got my fire set up over here. And it's, uh, it's keeping me, keeping me warm. Cup of coffee. I'm telling you, this is heaven. I love this. This is, I promise y'all one thing. This is better than doing it in the middle of the summer. All right. I did it in the middle of the summer for you guys. And let me tell you something. I sweated like crazy. My back would just be, yeah, it's disgusting. The North End, Tommy said. Yes, sir. I haven't been to Hearts in a while, man. I got to come back. Got to come back. I was supposed to preach for, for Patrick Dye down there for a pastor appreciation uh, a few months back. And uh, due to COVID and stuff, I just I wasn't comfortable with the travel down there. Um, maybe I'll get to come back soon. All right, guys. I appreciate y'all. God bless y'all. Thank y'all for taking time with me here. Man, we've been on here almost an hour. So, wow. Yes, sir. Praying for all you guys. Listen, let's be in prayer. Uh, even if you aren't a part of our church, Miss uh, Diane Burgess lost her mother this week. Olin Thompson uh, lost his father, Chuck. Thank you, Bruce. God bless you, man. I'm glad you got to see it tonight. It wasn't there Sunday, and so I'm glad that you made it tonight to see this. You even heard more than the congregation heard Sunday, so good for you. God bless you, Wanda. Let, so let's be praying for, for them. They lost. He lost his father. Diane lost her mother. And of course, her mother. I didn't. We sent out a call on the prayer chain for prayer for their family. Um, I didn't send out the um, times. I really don't know the times. I've, I've of course, been in touch with her, but um, that that service is going to take take place down in, in Florence, South Carolina. So that's that's about uh, probably four hours away. But um, Olin's uh, dad's going to be tomorrow at Davenport from one visitation, two o'clock service. And then they're going to do a burial at Fairview Church of God um, Cemetery. To my understanding, they'll be wearing um, masks. I'm required to wear masks when you walk into Davenport. So, uh, to try to keep everybody safe there. But uh, if you don't feel feel comfortable going, just say a prayer. Yeah, Tommy, I'd love to see you too, man. It's been a long time, way too long. Got all those grandkids. I never even met the little things. Cute as they can be, though. It's crazy, crazy. Been so long. All right, guys, I appreciate y'all, and uh, Merry Christmas. Keep Jesus front and center, and um, pray for those that got COVID. I've been getting reports from people that, that, that have, you know, had COVID, tested positive. I've, I've gotten several words from people that, that know people that, that, that have passed away from COVID, and so that is so sad. It's so sad, man. We're praying. Wow, we're praying for those people. Um, Deborah Canterbury, Jimmy, I just ran across your post. Live in Williamston, West Virginia. Um, like to hear more of you. Thank you, Deborah. I appreciate that. Uh, yes, I normally do this every Wednesday. Uh, we have something going on, playing, singing, preaching, teaching, something or another on Wednesdays. Now, uh, Gap Hill Church of God, you can go to our page on Facebook and, and see weeks and weeks of sermons, actually. I think I've shared most of those on my wall, so if you click that, you can go back and you can uh, watch services. And, and um, if you want to scroll through about, about um, 25 minutes in, the sermon should start. Thank you. I appreciate you for being here tonight. God bless you all the way from West Virginia. That's the amazing thing about Facebook, man. We talk about Facebook and and talk about how um, <laughs> talk about how bad it is and how negative it is. And at the end of the day, man, I'm gonna tell you, it's really it's a blessing. Um, and I know that that um, they may have some Merry Christmas to you, Wanda, as well. Your family. Uh, they may have some things that that are really far left liberals and uh, and all of that. And, and we know that, but at the end of the day, I'm glad to have a platform to speak on. So that's a blessing. It's a blessing, just as long as they let us stay on. I said if they listened to some of my sermons, they'd probably shut me down, but I guess they haven't taken the time to listen to them. <laughs> yes, ma'am, Deborah, come on back. We appreciate you. God bless you guys. I'm trying to think. I had somebody that sent me a message today. Um, Bonnie Moody, Bonnie Moody. Let's pray for Bonnie. Uh, as many of you know from our church, uh, you can call her name out to God. Bonnie Moody is her name. And um, 
Bonnie in the past has had cancer. Matter of fact, to my understanding, I think she's had three different cancers in the past five years or something. She's just been an off and on battle with her in different areas of her body. And so she's got possibly a stage one cancer. Uh, to my understanding, she's going to be going in. I can't remember the date from the top of my head. I'm going to say December the 28th is what I'm going to say is the day of her surgery. And then I think on January 4th or somewhere early into the new year, they're going to let her know if that surgery was successful and if they had to do chemo or radiation. So let's be in prayer for Miss Bonnie. They're uh, members of our church at Gap Hill. And I pray that God would heal and touch her and her family. Scott Orr, pray for Scott. Scott had to go to the hospital. He's a buddy of mine. Some of you may know Scott. I see a Lonita Orr here. I don't know if you guys are kin or not, but um, Scott had to go to the hospital. Um, some, I think, heart palpitations or something, but just be in prayer for him. He was admitted, and I um, just talked to him this evening. He's doing better, so thank God for that. Hopefully that report will be good. All right, guys, I appreciate you all. I really do. Thank you all for spending some time with me here tonight, and, um, and I hope to see you guys soon. God bless you. We love you. And um, know that we're praying for you. Go out, be the hands and feet of Jesus, and do the will of the Father. All right? God bless you.